This is a relay project. Seriously starts now. Here's Sapria and Ryan. Hey, it's Wednesday, December 21st, and you're listening to Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. I am Sapria DeVetti in Toronto. And I am Ryan Jesperson checking in from the pit of hell. <laughs> it's I almost mean, minus 40, and nobody has a good answer with regards to why we would live anywhere near <laughs> Edmonton, Alberta. So to be fair, it's not really hell-like. It's more Hoth-like. Well, it depends. It depends on your theology. But I, I, I remember <laughs> growing up, I think a lot of people, because we were more inclined uh, growing up in this part of Canada or on this part of planet Earth to experience the cold that hurts so badly mm-hmm. that your fingers freeze and your face feels like it's being bit by a thousand angry hornets. Uh, <laughs> that I think that preachers and Sunday school teachers used to remind us that hell could be so cold it's painful as opposed to so hot. Maybe if if you grow up in like Phoenix, then the fire and brimstone preachers talk about the heat here. They can talk about the cold. Yeah. Like you said, like Hoth. Yes. I mean, you guys are essentially a block of ice. Um, Vancouver and the uh, surrounding area is like under lots of snow. Um, there's going to be a huge snowstorm in a few days. Uh, that's going to hit a lot of uh, Eastern Quebec and, and Ontario. Um, so it'll be an interesting I guess lead up to the holidays in yeah. terms of who, getting to see people, right? Yeah, there's nothing funny about people missing their their flights and flights being canceled and and when all hell broke loose at Vancouver's airport earlier this week, obviously it sucked. It sucks present tense uh, for a lot of people, but it is kind of cute, isn't it? The, for the for the whole country, <laughs> it's so cute when Vancouver gets like six centimeters of snow and the entire lower mainland just shuts down nobody knows what to do about it and for the for the rest of us that's like a it's like a regular tuesday afternoon it's just vancouver you're so cute I, they are but i will say this in their defense okay it they're not equipped for it so like true they don't have snow plows at the ready they don't have salting trucks at the ready i'm sure folks don't necessarily have a ton of salt or like i mean i carry like something that's called like a winter kit in my car um which you know has like an emergency slew of things should i ever get uh snowed in somewhere i i'd imagine that's those aren't in high demand uh <laughs> In, in you know the lower mainland yeah. um but all this to say uh at least at least they didn't pull a toronto and call in the fucking army yeah so. they, didn't call, they didn't call the army yet yeah. yet yeah. yeah no yeah vancouver's kind of like the uh you know the retiree poolside that got caught in their deck slippers sipping the daiquiri when the storm rolled in and they just, they just don't <laughs> know what to do about it but but we poke fun at vancouver because we love Vancouver, exactly. of course. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. This is going to be the final episode of Seriously that we're going to produce in the 2022 calendar year. Yeah, I mean, I in case anybody is watching us uh, on the YouTube link, I mean, I am in full Christmas attire right now. Mm. Uh, I'm wearing a Christmas sweater. Uh, Gremlins is a Christmas movie, in case anybody was wondering. Yeah, you know, is, um, Supri, yeah. I, I started watching Gremlins with my seven-year-old the other day. And did he like it? No, no, he hated uh, it. He was gonna have. To, he was terrified. He was petrified. He was like <laughs> yeah. potentially scarred for life. You're, it is a Christmas movie. I forgot how. L- a little it bit is scary. It's gnarly. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Parent I guess. of the year. <laughs> um, are you one of these? Uh, you have to watch like a certain amount of Christmas movies before you, we, you know, we, can yeah, get into we, the. Yeah, we've been crushing Christmas movies, um, and uh, thanks to you know the, the recommendations we've been getting from from one of our team members, John Hicks, who produces seriously, he's been giving us his Hicks holiday flicks recommendations, oh, nice. and so I've been che- trying to check out some new ones. But but we go back to the well for the classics as well. Last night, a Christmas story. You'll shoot your eye out. How about you? Yeah, I am a big fan as well because I consider Gremlins a Christmas movie. I also consider Batman Returns a Christmas movie because it happens during Christmas. Okay. So I'm perhaps not as traditional, I think, as a lot of people. Um, but what I will say, and I know we do have to get on and, and get on with the actual show. Do we, though? But, yeah, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, we sometimes talk about, you know, conspiracy theories, and you and I like to poke fun at them sometimes. But the one conspiracy theory, I don't even know if you would call it a real conspiracy theory, but the one, like, Fox News moral panic that I do legit buy into is the uh, war on Christmas. So that's why I always make sure to say Merry Christmas. Um, you really do I buy into the war on Christmas? Yeah, man, it's fucking real. Just why is why is it a holiday cup? Starbucks, it's a Christmas cup. That's what it is. Yeah, okay? yeah, okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I get it. I guess I see it both ways. Like, you can tell me I'm a nutter. It's fair. Well, We're friends. Well, no, but now I'm, I'm going to get accused of being in the mushy middle on Christmas now. <laughs> These spineless centrists and their holiday <laughs> celebrations. I just feel like, you know, I've got some Jewish friends that are legitimately celebrating Hanukkah right now. Although, to be For honest, sure. none of them give a shit about anybody saying Christmas. They're perfectly fine with it. They say Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is it, it's So it's, here's what I will say. I, I And I that's a legit point, right? If you are celebrating Hanukkah or if you are celebrating something else um, around this time of year or you just don't observe Christmas, oh, that's fine. Um, but if you know somebody is a Christmas uh, enthusiast, okay, because like, I mean, I'm not religious, um, mm-hmm. but clearly I'm an atheist and I clearly am super big into Christmas. Um, my husband was raised Sikh and like he, he's not super religious, but we have a tree and do the stockings and do the whole shebang. Um, I, I think it's okay to say Merry Christmas. I, I, I don't know. And like, I, I don't know. I don't honestly don't know anybody who gets like offended if yeah. they don't celebrate Christmas and are offered up a Merry Christmas instead of a happy holidays. Yeah. Um, and I, I think part of being in our multicultural fabric is that I wish you a Merry Christmas and then you wish me a happy Diwali when Diwali's around or whatever, you know? Can you um, imagine if I, just for fun, if I took yeah. the same tone of voice with that exact same sentence? <laughs> <laughs> because we live in this multicultural fabric. <laughs> All of a sudden, our first million download show. <laughs> Someone's going to clip that five seconds because we live. Now I got to wish her a happy Diwali. Oh, my God. It's the war on. Yeah, it's the war on the West. No, but hey, in all seriousness, I do agree. And I and I spread it around like, like uh, I don't know, the, the egg thing? My family? Why am I saying this? I don't know. I was going to say I spread it around like manure. Uh, <laughs> but if you've ever seen it, have you ever seen farm equipment operating? A manure spreader? I it's haven't, very, actually. It's very yeah. effective. It just absolutely, sorry, people are eating, some people are eating their breakfast listening to this episode of Seriously. But it, there's nothing that it doesn't hit. And that's how I am with my Merry Christmas greetings when, when I am out and about. Uh, I, I, I feel like... 
it's kind of funny though. I've never actually met someone in real. These are all fantasy people. The, the Donald Trump and others will have you believe that this war on Christmas, and it's not so much Trump. It's Trump tapping into the evangelical Bible Belt lament that there's I, the, I feel war like the war on, on Christmas. Christmas has been a thing for a while. It's right? been a thing for for more than a hundred years. Yeah. Uh, as as Paul Ferry, the the noted uh, <laughs> Twitter list maker, has pointed out, and we'll have more on him, Polly Sai, if you will, his handle in just a little bit. But the war on Christmas has been a thing for more than a hundred years, and I think it's actually it's just like the whole connection between Hallmark and Valentine's Day. I'm convinced that the war on Christmas was cooked up by people Ooh. that are in the business of Christmas, and we're all falling for it. <laughs> you know, it is getting really close. Uh, for people that are here, like a lot of people are going to hear this episode of Seriously and, and they're going to realize, oh my gosh, I have but hours until Christmas. Mm-hmm. This year went by so fast. Uh, for some people, just hours left until the holiday break. Yeah, totally. And I mean, we've only really got a few days until we're fully into the Christmas holiday break, New Year's break, whatever you want to call it. And there's only 11 more days left in 2022. And so, you know, this is the time where people start planning uh, about the next year. And Ryan, I'm going to ask you, have you started thinking about planning and business priorities for 2023? Oh, for sure. (laughs) I'm super well organized and I've got all of my top priorities mapped out. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, I picked up on the sarcasm there, but for our listeners, one actual great way to start the new year is, you know, looking into those new business priorities uh, that you need to tackle in those first months of 2023. Yeah, that's 100% true, Sapri. A great opportunity to find new business partners and set new objectives for growth, right? And, and one great partner for associations, regulators, nonprofits is We Know Training. We Know Training is your one-stop solution partner for providing impactful training that matters. We Know Training handles every aspect of your training program, from instructional design and course creation, to hosting and selling your courses online, to also providing bilingual learner support. Yeah, this is really valuable for a ton of different organizations because they meet you where you're at, and they can help you generate new revenue by creating amazing courses to sell through their powerful e-commerce engine and their storefront builder. At We Know Training, your experts end up meeting their experts and they turn your subject matter expertise into online courses that end up adding real value for your members and for your organization. Yeah, that's right. And they take the stress off your plate. How valuable is that? So you can get back to doing what your organization does best with some additional revenue coming in from the courses you sell. So work with a training partner that truly understands your needs, has solutions to your challenges, and delivers amazing results towards your business goals. Talk to We Know Training. You can check them out on their website, weknowtraining.ca, or of course, you can scroll down to the show notes to learn more about We Know Training. The Lead. So Ryan, you know, this is the uh, last Seriously episode of 2022. So we figured uh, what better way to, uh, you know, kick it off than by looking back at our top picks for what the main, I guess, story was in this past year. Um, I'll go with mine first, if that's okay. Um, Mine is uh, the Freedom Convoy. And that was also, you know, I'm not like cribbing this off of the Canadian press's newsmaker of the year. I legit think that. I think in the, uh, you know, conversations that you and I have had, Um, On Seriously, but on Real Talk as well, it's clear that um, I think there was a perceptible shift uh, in terms of what the Freedom Convoy delivered to our politics. And, you know, um, let's uh, take a little bit of a listen of what those uh, early days were like. We can be here as long as it takes. We're well supported food wise, fuel wise, financially. We're fully supported to be here for as long as it takes 
for this government to realize that the people are the ones that need to have the power. So, I mean, you know, uh, that was in the early days. You heard one of the uh, convoy goers there basically lay out the fact that they did have a ton of support. And they did in terms of material support. Um, I think the donations that they are uh, managed to amass and their organizational ability is, to be quite honest, somewhat laudable. Like, it's not easy to do that. Um, but if you look at what their overall support was um, from the Canadian public, I mean, it wasn't great. A vast majority of Canadians were not supportive of their tactics, even if they did have underlying um, sympathies or uh, anger or misgivings towards the government. Um, and, you know, I just think that in terms of what the Freedom Convoy really represents for Canadian politics, it's the fact that it's the first time you've had an embrace um, of, uh, you know, some of the fringes into our mainstream political family. And I am, of course, talking about the conservatives here um, who made a choice uh, early into this that they were going to go all in uh, to the Freedom Convoy, irrespective of whether or not the majority of Canadians supported that. And I think that's going to have real reverberations for uh, the next few years, at least um, as long as Mr. Polyev uh, is the one leading the conservatives. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, well supported financially and the, the, the donations were impressive. Um but, you know, I feel like the, the, the narrator wanted to jump in in the middle of the quote when that fellow was talking. Uh, they were, in fact, not well financially supported <laughs> uh, because there were a lot of truckers. And again, not laughing at them. It's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, enter something like this at your own peril, uh, you know, 10 million plus, like 15 million plus in donations, whatever the running total was. Remember, GoFundMe shut it down and then they went to that Christian fundraising site. I can barely remember the name, but you get the idea and you remember this uh, the funds were not being dispersed uh, to the people many of them that were using their life savings I mean I remember hearing an interview with one guy um, you know at first glance uh, Sapria just in, in plain language and real talk a guy that looked like he could be easily duped uh, mm, that's the nice yeah. way to put it and the guy was in tears because he had spent his life savings if I remember about seven thousand dollars filling up jerry can after jerry can after jerry can on his credit card for complete strangers assured that he would be reimbursed and guess what he wasn't and a lot of that money has not been dispensed to the people that were there in good faith but but of course the general canadian doesn't feel sorry for these people because these are also the people that clogged up downtown ottawa and acted like assholes for the better part of a month so that's the story i guess on one side i do agree with you that this could be the type of thing that hangs around the necks of Canada's conservatives. But with the leadership that they've got right now and the support of that leadership early in Pierre Polyev's tenure, they're going to wear this thing like a badge of honor. They're not trying to hide it. Yeah. They're not trying to sweep it under a rug. Pierre Polyev's not doing anything to try to get Canadians to forget about his support for the convoy. Well, he's not, but I mean, he wasn't exactly vocal and active uh, during the inquiry uh, into the use or the invocation of the Emergencies Act, right? Like, if they really did want to lean in, um, they could have done a better job of doing that. And I'd imagine polling is kind of pulling them in another direction. But, you know, to your point um, about them wearing it further down the line, I think it's less about the specificity of supporting the convoy and more about really going all in on supporting anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers and uh, just bringing some of the more, you know, um, 
what would have been, I guess, traditional people's party voters back into the conservative fold. And I I just think it'll be an interesting sort of uh, mix of how they move forward. Now, if you're a conservative, you say, well, you know, we lost some of our vote share to the PPC. So let's get that back. And we have the benefit of always being sort of positioned by legacy political media institutions as like the government in waiting. So they don't really have a ton to lose here um, by doing so. Um, At least right now they don't. But it'll be, you know, who knows? Yeah. Now, because I couldn't choose Freedom Convoy, you see (laughs) how I issue that caveat. These build really well off each other. And and for my story of the year, I'm going to go with the rise in popularity to a fervor pitch, the impressive fundraising and the walloping Mm -hmm. in the leadership race that saw Pierre Poliev crowned. Here he is. And it's all because of the inflationary deficits and spending of Justin Trudeau. Even the Bank of Canada governor has said that if deficits were smaller, inflation and interest rates would be lower. So there you have it. We see a page out of Pierre Poliev's playbook, the newly minted leader of the Conservatives who doubled the party's membership uh, through the course of his campaign. More than 300,000 memberships sold. No matter if you love him or hate him, you've got to acknowledge that's enormous. He's got Trudeau in his crosshairs for obvious reasons. He wants to be Canada's next prime minister. And Sapria, he's taking global trends and making them all the fault of the prime minister. You think it's going to (laughs) work? I mean, I think to a degree, it already is sort of working. Um, You know, who cares? Who gives a fuck about global trends if your grocery prices are skyrocketing and your gas prices are skyrocketing and you're, you know, you're not sure how you're going to make mortgage payment or your year over year rent has increased by like, you know, 20 ish percent. Um, You're not going to care about any of that. Um, And so I think he is tapping into something quite real. I think he's a very good communicator. Um, And I think, you know, to your point about his leadership race and how he basically bludgeoned all of his opponents over over the head um, with his own uh, sort of star campaign power. I think it's worth also noting that in the in, in the time that he was able to really grow the membership, which also to conservatives credit, they you know, the last time they had a leadership race was like the highest membership sold before that. So he like smashed a record on top of a record yeah. is the fact that he was able to garner so much momentum without really any, um, you know, mainstream legacy media interviews or interaction. A lot of his stuff was just digital straight to the folks who he felt needed to hear his message. And I think that's going to be a, a strategy that they employ going forward. Um, and I, I don't know if, if the leadership is any uh, indication, then it should work out for them for at least for the lead up to an election. Yeah. And, and for political watchers, uh, you know, S- Stephen Harper was a tactician uh, and, and, and understood the game of politics in a chess sort of a way. Andrew Shear was, you know, I mean, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I think wow. of him guzzling skim milk, milk and, and that's kind of how I would describe him as a politician as well. Uh, you Can know, I just and, say one thing about Andrew Shear. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I interviewed him a few years ago uh, on air when I was still like doing the radio thing. And I knew he wasn't going to win the election when I asked him. It was like I do these. I used to do these like rapid fire at the end of an interview questions like, you know, Coke or Pepsi, blah, 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 this or that. Right. I asked him what his, who his favorite Batman was. Uh and his answer was Adam fucking West. Adam and I'm West. like, Andrew, you're only a few years older than me. <laughs> How is Adam West your answer? 
And afterwards, he felt so bad. Like, he felt so, he was like, oh, I can't believe I answered Adam West. He's like, ah. Oh. And I was like, it's okay, man. Like, and he was very affable and very likable. Yeah. Um, but it's like that mic went on and he just didn't, you know, in the red line, you know, it's, it's on air. It's mm-hmm. like, it just made him nervous. And I was like, okay, you're not ready for primetime, dude. Mm, interesting. I remember mm-hmm. sitting down in studio once with Jason Kenny, uh, the, the morning that uh, it had been announced that Gord Downey uh, was, was oh, fighting sure. brain cancer when the band had made the announcement. And so we were playing uh, tragically hip songs in and out of each commercial break. And, and, and there's Jason Kenny. And we came back on Bob Cajun. And uh, I said to him, uh, I, s- I said, there you have it. As uh, you know, you're listening live in studio. I'm sitting here with Jason Kenny. I said, which is your favorite tragically hip song? He said, that one. Uh I should have said sing me a couple lines will ya I digress so you got Andrew Shear and then you had Aaron O'Toole nice enough guy but just wasn't up for the fight and the point I'm getting at here is of the past number of conservative leaders the party now has one that can go toe to toe with the prime minister in debates on brand on messaging on getting people like i said earlier to a fever pitch and i think that it's going to be very interesting to watch this is a conservative leader that the governing liberals have to take very seriously also there's this all right well why don't we take a look into our respective crystal balls and and, uh, predict what might be the story of the year or at least one of the big ones heading into 2023 yeah, so what I'm going to be really watching for is the uh, government tabling their uh, much-anticipated bill on online harms, online safety. We don't really know what they're going to call it. They haven't even drafted it yet. But if we can look to other jurisdictions, um, the UK in particular, in terms of how their online safety bill debate is playing out, I think it'll be somewhat instructive for us. And so here's a clip of Ian Russell, whose daughter Molly um died from self-harm at the age of 14 while suffering from depression. And this is what the coroner uh, concluded, the negative effects of online content. He recently gave an interview to the BBC. Here's part of it. I often say that the post that comes to mind is a simple post of a a sad drawing of a girl, a pencil drawn girl looking sad. And next to it were the words, who would love a suicidal girl? That in and on, on, on its own isn't necessarily harmful. But when the platform's algorithms send hundreds if not thousands of those posts to, to or posts like it to someone who's who particularly if they're young and vulnerable then that content has to be regulated against the algorithms have to be have to be looked into as well and that's what the concern is and so as the government gears up for this, you know, 2023 bill, I think it's important that we recognize that often when we talk about the issue of online safety or online harms, however you want to qualify it, it's like posed as this weird false dichotomy between you can either have safety or free speech and that's it. And we need to move beyond that sort of false framing because it's a shitty one. Um, and also we know that there's like legit harmful content um, and that there are systems and incentives and structures and design choices that are made by the platforms to encourage, um, you know, the exposure of this, on, uh, you know, harmful content. And one such example, a recent investigation found that like TikTok, for example, um, you know, is suggesting eating disorder and self-harm content to new accounts made by teens within minutes. Like one of them was like 2.8 minutes and they're being shown eating disorder 
border content. Like, I get that the conservatives are going to want to frame this and those on the right are going to want to frame this as censorship. But we need to move beyond that framing because like the kids are not OK. And, uh, you know, it, are these platforms, these giant big tech platforms that are, uh, you know, disabling democracy, uh, encouraging mob violence, um, you know, putting all this predatory content out to kids like they need to be reined in to just like any other company that offers products to Canadians. And so that's how we should be thinking about this issue that you have consumer facing products. And unlike every other fucking consumer facing product that Canada uh, puts out, um, they are not subject to any safety standards. They're not subject to any product standards. Um, And so they need to be conducting those sorts of risk assessments. I think you're bang on. And I think that if we're being honest with ourselves, well, I won't speak for you, but most of us, we don't understand algorithms. We don't really understand how they work. We don't really understand how to recognize when they're working, uh, let alone when they're working with younger people that that certainly wouldn't be in a position to navigate it. So I think you're bang on. I'm going to look a little bit west, uh, but it's the west looking east for my big story that I'm predicting in 2023. Here's a recent snippet from the newly minted premier of Alberta. This is all about making sure that Ottawa stays out of our jurisdiction. The way I've described it to the chiefs that I've spoken with is that they have fought a battle over the last number of years to get sovereignty respected and to and to extract themselves from the paternalistic Indian Act. We get treated the exact same way from Ottawa. Okay, so Danielle Smith had to eat her words on that one. The province of Alberta arguably the most prosperous province in the entire country, has not, in fact, been treated like indigenous people in Canada under the paternalistic Indian Act. But the tone and the focus of that recent statement gives you all you need to know about how Alberta's premier will approach conversations and campaigning in her quest for true sovereignty for the province of Alberta. What makes this especially interesting for the rest of the country, Supriya, of course, is that Alberta is looking ahead to a provincial election in May. And there's a lot of talk out of the premier's office about the uh, the Notley Singh Trudeau Alliance. This is, of course, Rachel Notley with the Alberta NDP, her federal counterpart, Jagmeet Singh, and the prime minister. And the more they talk about that alliance, you more the more you get an understanding of exactly how they'll be campaigning for Danielle Smith to win her first election uh, and earn four years in that premier's office. It's going to be a story the country will want to pay attention to. Seriously? So, Ryan, both you and I follow Paul Ferry on mm-hmm. Twitter. He's a poli-sci prof uh, over at the University of Calgary, and uh, he puts out these great threads just generally. And for the last few years, he's been putting out this like um, headline of the year Twitter thread. And you and I thought it would be um, you know, kind of funny to <laughs> pick what we thought were our top three. And so this is in no particular order. Um, but you and I have picked our top three. We haven't shared it with each other. Nope. So I'll go first okay. as to one of my top three. And it is monkey that was flushed down toilet, fed cocaine, now has a boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, any questions? Uh, but like, it was just flushed down the toilet and then like went into the sewer. It just got like stuck halfway through. Well, like did they feed so it cocaine? Or did, uh, yeah, did they, they teach to it to it. snort cocaine? <laughs> Was it shooting cocaine? Like, what's the a monkey so snorting questions. cocaine? I mean, on TikTok, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about viral content? Monkey 100%. snorting cocaine would be. I mean, kids, don't give your monkeys your parents cocaine. All right. <laughs> Here's a headline of the year from Paul's thread that jumped out at me. Montreal painting has been hanging upside down <laughs> for 75 years. I mean, who says? Did they talk to the painter? 
I mean, it just goes to show nobody really understands art. Nobody right? understands art whatsoever. <laughs> okay, my next one is 10,000 bees joined protest in Chile. Seven police officers stunk. The reason why I thought this was so funny is because if any insect is going to really join or any animal is going to join a protest, you know, it's going to be fucking bees because they want to be unionized. They're worker bees uh, working for the queen. They need rights. They're joining the protest, you know? Well done. Thank you. Well Thank done. You. Very well done. All right. Here's one that jumped out at me in my top three. Man who paid $2.9 million for the NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet set to lose almost $2.9 million. The whole NFT thing. I'm, I'm not going to write off cryptocurrency in particular. At this point, I'm not set to 100% write off Bitcoin because I think if you read the white papers, it's interesting. And you talk to the experts and they, they do see a role that, that regulated maybe uh finance could have uh, okay i'm done with the talking points but the nft thing yeah the nft thing for me i guess it was explained to me as like do you want to own the original monet as opposed to a print of the original that you bought at ikea that's kind of the idea of the nft but when it's a digital copy of something that's somehow different than all the other digital who copies cares? of something who gives a fuck yeah, who cares? I don't uh, the know. people that I've seen spending all this money on NFTs, they're the people that appear to be able to afford to lose that much money. And so I say more power to them. And I just want to know when we're releasing our first seriously NFT. <laughs> uh, this is my last one. Seal breaks into New Zealand home, traumatizes cat and hangs out on couch. The cats I know would love to fight seals. What's up with this cat? Is this like the laziest cat in New Zealand? Well, seals can be kind of aggressive, can they not? Oh, sure. And, and to be fair, we don't know why the cat was traumatized. Maybe it was just traumatized because the seal was in its couch spot. Yeah, I mean, maybe the cat was raised by walruses who were always talking shit about <laughs> seals, and this cat just didn't know how to respond. We don't go. know the background. We're just commenting on the headlines. All right, here's <laughs> my third of three. How to murder your husband, writer, guilty of murdering her husband. <laughs> Nothing funny about murder, but the no, headline I kills. I <laughs> We'll be back in the new year. You can find us, of course, on our website in the meantime at seriouslypod.com and, of course, all over social media. At seriouslypod on Instagram, at Sapri and Ryan on Twitter, seriouslypod.com, as Ryan mentioned. And, you know, email us uh, as we're off. Uh, tell us what we can be doing better. Talk at seriouslypod.com. We're always curious to hear how you think Sapriya can be doing better. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> On this edition of Seriously, the final of 2022, I am so lucky to call you a friend and my heart is full every single time we connect and do one of these episodes every Wednesday. A Merry Christmas to you, Sapria, and happy holidays to your family. See you next year. You bet. Seriously is hosted by Supriya Dwavedi and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Turlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Shivers. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Voiceover by me, Tanji. Seriously is a relay project. For more, check out seriouslypod.com.